does celebrating look like to you? When you think of those events, those special occasions when you may gather together with friends or family to celebrate, what's included in celebrating? The word celebrate literally means to commemorate an event or a special occasion. We often celebrate in different ways through birthdays, anniversaries, these types of occasions where we may get others together and we have a celebration. But what does celebrating look like to you? What is included in celebration? As I think about celebration and what it includes, I think about family usually gathering together with loved ones, hopefully. Friends, is it a celebration without food? I mean, I don't know that you can call it a celebration if there is no food included. There, there has to be food. Gifts. When you think about celebration, these are the common components, aren't they? Family, friends, people we care about food, usually a cake of some kind, if it's a birthday, an anniversary, one of those commemorative type events. My wife years ago really got into the habit of making special cakes for our children for their birthdays. And she'll always ask our children, what cake do you want? And she doesn't mean, do you want white cake, yellow cake, chocolate cake, carrot cake, or whatever. She means, how do you want it designed? Because she goes all out for these things. So one year, one of the girls wanted a frozen cake. One year, one of them wanted a dinosaur cake. One year, Mike wanted a trash truck cake. He's enamored with trash trucks. When we're out and about, he sees the garbage truck. Ooh, the garbage truck! It's an exciting thing to him to see the garbage truck. He asks for birthdays and Christmas for garbage trucks. If you ask Michael what he wants to do with his life, what he wants to be when he grows up, he may tell you that he wants to be a garbage man. Only because he wants to drive a garbage truck. We've had this game with him where we'll ask him, hey, would you rather drive this or that? And we'll name things. Do you know Michael would rather drive a garbage truck than a motorcycle? Like he's enamored with them. But special occasions, aren't these components? Family, friends, people we care about, food, cake, ice cream, steak, whatever it is for you, gifts. These are the common components that we think about when we think about celebration. As you think about Christmas, these components are likely involved somewhere. E even as you plan for Christmas Day, you'll probably spend some time with family, maybe friends. There will be food. How many of you have already thought through your Christmas dinner List what you're going to have, yeah? You've probably already been buying some gifts to give. And you may have even 
thought about what you'd like to get. These are the common things when we think about celebrating. But I want to ask you to think with me today about this. How do we celebrate God? What is Christmas about? Christmas is the commemoration of a special event or occasion, isn't it? And it's not ultimately about family and friends. It's not ultimately about food. It's not ultimately about the gifts we give each other, but the gift we've been given. So let me ask you, as you think about commemorating Christmas, as you think about celebrating, how do you celebrate God? If Christmas is commemorating God's gift to us, tell me how you celebrate Him. We have much to celebrate God for at Christmas. Regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of what your experience has been or even is today, we have much to celebrate God for at Christmas. I want to show you this truth in the Christmas story of Luke chapter 2. Let's again read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 again. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary as espoused wife, great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because... There was no room for them in the inn. I suppose I can say that I understand just a little bit of what Joseph may have experienced when he realized that he and Mary would have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem some 80 to 90 miles while Mary was in an advanced pregnancy. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever traveled with someone, a lady, in an advanced state of pregnancy. But that always adds some excitement and chaos to an extended trip. Stephanie was 34, 35 weeks pregnant when we made the move from Pensacola, Florida to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. And that added quite a of excitement to an already chaotic time when you're moving a long distance. If you've ever moved a long distance, you know it is chaos. Sometimes organized, but it is chaos. There's a lot that goes into a move like that, but when you do it when you're 34 to 35 weeks pregnant, you're adding a whole nother level of chaos. It's craziness. 
Joseph and Mary's journey was not an easy one for many reasons. But it was a journey that God would bless as he worked through all the circumstances to accomplish his plan. Have you ever thought about the reality that the first Christmas is not at, was not as beautiful as the postcards, postcards often fit? I mean, it's this perfect scene. It's the cleanest stable ever. All the animals are clean and neatly brushed. If they made a, a Christmas postcard depicting the birth of Jesus as a scratch and sniff, you can imagine you'd sniff it. And the way it's depicted, it would smell just beautiful. Like all the Christmas candles and scents that you put around your house this time of year. It's the most perfectly put together new parents ever. I mean, Joseph and Mary look like they just walked out of the beauty parlor and they look well rested, clean and all that. And I mean, that's the way it's depicted, right? But that's not the way it was. I wasn't there, but I can guarantee you that's not the way it was. Beyond that, their lives had been turned upside down. It hadn't been an easy pregnancy. It had been very difficult for many reasons. It had been six to nine months of turmoil leading up to the birth of Mary's firstborn son as recorded in Luke chapter 2 verse 7. Their lives in many ways had been turned upside down. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. If you've ever felt like for some reason, your life has been turned upside down. You've gone through some experience. You've been through some event. Life has handed you a bowl of lemons, as they say. And your life was just flipped upside down. During this season, so many of our songs speak of holiday cheer and joy. Many of the Christmas carols and tunes that we know mention joy in some way. But Jesus' arrival on earth came at a very dark time. A difficult time for the people of God. And maybe that's the kind of time you're experiencing right now. And you may wonder, how can I really celebrate Christmas this Christmas season? The Bible talks about how Mary magnified the Lord when the angel announced the conception of Jesus in her womb. We talk about this idea of magnifying the Lord, making him big, making him large, magnifying him. My wife shared with me a, a message that she saw where the pastor wrote about how that is true at Christmas time, and oftentimes Christmas magnifies things in our own lives. When we're experiencing joy, when things are going well, Christmas magnifies that, and we're on cloud nine. But the opposite is also true. When we are experiencing difficulty and grief, Christmas can tend to magnify that even more. And maybe that's where you are today, and you wonder, how can I celebrate this Christmas season? 
I don't even know that I can celebrate God. I don't feel that I have much to celebrate about or to celebrate him for. As we look at Luke chapter 2, we find out how we can celebrate God. Why we have reason to celebrate God. We should celebrate God this Christmas because Christmas begins with him. Do you realize we don't have Christmas without God? We don't have this season without his gift to us. So Christmas begins with God and we should celebrate him. Why? How? Number one, I want you to see this. We should celebrate God's preeminence. Maybe this season, as you go into Christmas, you your life's been turned upside down and you wonder how you can celebrate. Well, let me give you a reason you can celebrate God. You can celebrate the reality that God is preeminent. What, what do we mean by that? It, it simply refers to the reality that God is over all things. God reigns over all things. You may look at the world around you, and the world around us is much like the world at that time when Jesus came. It is dark. You look at what's going on in our world. You, you look at the wars that are going on. You look at the murder, the, the desecration of human life. You, you look at the destruction of all that appears to be wholesome and honorable and virtuous and honest. The destruction of truth. And it can be overwhelming. It can be very discouraging. You spend much watching the news these days and you'll find yourself depressed before very long it is a dark world but friends can i remind you today that god reigns over all things all things belong to him and god has the right to do what he wants with what is his all things belong to him. He is over all things. He rules over all things. How does this come out in the birth of Jesus in relation to him? Jesus was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. In fact, as you search through the Old Testament, you'll find over 350 prophecies directly related to Jesus regarding his birth his life, his death, his resurrection, and ascension. And one of those prophecies jumps out in Luke chapter 2, these verses we read. It comes from Micah 5.2, which was penned 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And here's what it says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The Bible said 700 years before the birth of Christ that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. We have a problem, don't we? Because Joseph and Mary don't live in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth, some 80 to 90 miles away. And you say, well, that's not very far. I'll jump in my car and drive that far in an hour. Maybe an hour ten. That's not very far. Well, they didn't have a car. They didn't have public transportation. 
this is a journey that very well with a, a, a woman in an advanced state of pregnancy could have taken a week. This is a long trip. How are they going to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? We have our answer in Luke chapter 2, don't we? Oh, Luke puts it all in the context of the political realm, doesn't he? He puts it in the context of Caesar Augustus, who had only recently before this time established himself as the emperor with full power in Rome. He puts it in the context of Cyrenius, the governor of Syria, when, when Caesar gave this command that all the Roman Empire should be taxed, and the local authorities have the responsibility to see that this was carried out. And this is what caused Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth at an inconvenient time and go to Bethlehem so that God's word would be fulfilled. Yes, Caesar Augustus ruled the empire, but friends, he was only secondary to God. The Bible declares this in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of waters, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God has the right to do what he wants with what is his. And while it may seem like a very insignificant detail, Mary and Joseph had to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the right time to get to the right place according to the word of God. God was in control. Friends, during this Christmas season, remember that God is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. All things begin with him. All things end with him. All things consist by him. All things come to their end through him. Men come and go. Nations come and go. Nations rise and fall. Athletes and politicians and celebrities come and go. Time marches on. Circumstances ebb and flow. Sometimes they're good in your life. Sometimes they're not. But God is preeminent over all of it. He rules over it all. The Bible declares this in Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. From as far as you can go that way to as far as you can go that way, one thing will always be true. God is God. He's on the throne. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, was and is and is to come. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Which was, is, and is to come. What does that mean? From the beginning to the end, God is God. He is the I am that I am. Revelation 5, 11 through 14, continue, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 
and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. That's our God. My friend, God is preeminent. And that extends beyond the macro nations and kingdoms and political figures and world's circumstances, it extends right down to the micro, you personally. God's preeminent. He's over it all. All things may come and go in your life. The circumstances may change. There's good, there's bad, there's in between. There's wonderful at times, and there's really difficult and grievous at times. But through it all, God reigns. He's preeminent. He is over it all. We see it here in Mary and Joseph's life right here in Luke 2. They had needs. They had struggles. A journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem at that time was inconvenient to say the least. But God was in charge. And he allowed them to participate in his plan by leading them to the right place at the right moment. And so when you're overwhelmed, remember that God has a plan and a purpose for all things. And he is working it out in your life. And we know that all things right all things aren't you glad the verse doesn't say all things are good i am because i'm going to tell you the truth today not all things are good in my life there's some bad there's some things i don't like there's some things honestly i just hate in my life at times but that's not what he said and we know that all things, what? Work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Remember, you can celebrate God's preeminence. Secondly, I want you to see this. You can celebrate God's presence. You can celebrate God's presence I think the greatest blessing of Jesus coming into the world is what the Bible tells us the angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. You think about all the different things about Jesus coming into the world. All the different things it means for us. What does it mean to you, by the way? When you think about Jesus came into the world, what does it mean to you right now today? How does that bless you? How does that speak to you? How does that make a difference in your life? But for me, one of the greatest truths, one of the greatest blessings of Jesus coming to the world is what the angel told, Matthew, told Joseph when he showed up and told him, hey, don't be afraid. Don't, don't second guess what Mary has told you about her pregnancy. Take her to be your wife. Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, hey, here's God's preeminence again. What did he say? Matthew one twenty three, 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name what? They shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is what? God with us. You know, it's interesting as you look at Matthew chapter 1, the angel commands Joseph to name the baby something. What was it? Jesus. He said, call his name Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from their sin. But then, as he quotes the Old Testament prophet, he said, they'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Think about it, friend. Call him Jesus. That's what, what he'll be known as. That, that's his human name, if you will. That's what people will call him. That's what you'll identify him. That's how you'll uh, tell him apart from your other children, Jesus. That's his name, but for a special reason, because he's the Savior. But then he'll also be called this, Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, listen to me very carefully this morning. We have a God who saves and we have a God who stays. We have a God who saves. One who came to help us because we're broken people living in a sin-sick world. And it's not just the world around us that are sick with sin. We you and me personally are sick with sin. We have a God who didn't decide just to leave us there. He sent Jesus to save us. But he also came to be with us. He's a God who stays. Think about this. In the coming of Jesus to the world... God's presence came into the world forever. You look at the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come on people at different times for special acts of service, but the Holy Spirit didn't come and stay. But when Jesus came into the world, God came and stayed. You say, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. He, he ascended. He's back in heaven. But when he went back to heaven... What did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is here to stay. Friends, listen, we have a God who saves and a God who stays. John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, And the Word was made, what? Flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, First Timothy three sixteen, And without controversy, great, is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Friends, think about that. The God of all eternity, the God who is preeminent over all things, the God who rules over all, the God who spoke creation into existence by the power of his word, the God who never had a beginning, never has an end, the God who was, is, and always will be, the one whom all things begin with and whom all things end with, that God became flesh, what you and I are. 
He became flesh and dwelt among us. Right in the middle of your life, wherever you may be today, God is present. He's with you. I recently had the opportunity to visit with someone who is on hospice care. A military veteran who, because of exposure to Agent Orange during his time in the military, has terminal cancer now. Just a short time likely to live. And as I was visiting with him, I, I thought it was interesting as I asked him to tell me his story. And he was just telling me his story, going through different things in life, and something jumped out to me. He spoke about how early in his life, because of some things he experienced, he came to the conclusion, as he put it, that God had kicked him to the curb. That God had not cared about him. That God wasn't interested in his life. And he says, and I went down a lot of wrong paths. I decided I would kick God and his son to the curb. But now at this point in his life, having reflected, he recognized that he had done that, that I had kicked God and his son to the curb for many, many years, and he, he's repented of that, and he now has a good relationship, a good fellowship with God. But as I was talking to him, he said, I had done that for many, many years I believe he kicked me to the curb so I kicked him to the curb and now I come to this place in my life and he said this God had never kicked me to the curb and friends can I share with you today God never kicks you to the curb he cares he loves you he's always interested in you he is interested in your life he is interested what is going on in your life and he cares about it all God Think about this. Sent his son for people who kicked him to the curb. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way. John chapter 1 tells us he came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to the world that he made and the world rejected him. Turned away from him. He lived a perfect life. The Bible declares to us that he went around only doing good, and yet he was rejected and crucified, not for his crimes, but for our sins. He died a horrible death for me and for you. See his love for you. Stop kicking him to the curb. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe your attitude has been, I, I don't need God. I look around me and, and all I see is evidence of a God who doesn't care, a God who's angry, a God who's hateful. Friends, that is the furthest thing from the truth. God gave the very best that he could for a world who rejected him. He loves you. He sent his son for you. He allowed his son to be taken, to be nailed to a cross because he loves 
you. Stop kicking him to the curb. Believe on him. He forgives and he saves all who come to him. Believer, maybe you're someone who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Have you kicked God to the curb? Are you going through your life without giving him the thought, the commitment that he deserves? The worship that he deserves? Come back to him. Return and re repent and return to fellowship with him. Listen, the blessing of Christmas is God's presence with us. It's true. He never leaves nor forsakes you. He's with you. And Jesus' entrance into the world made that possible. So maybe it's hard for you to think about celebrating this Christmas. You can celebrate God's presence. Finally, you can celebrate God's provision. Reading the Christmas story of Luke chapter 2, I don't know about you, but it leaves me with the feeling that Joseph and Mary really went without a lot of things. I praise God, and I mean this sincerely, that every time I've had a child with my wife, that we made it to the hospital, we were settled in a room, and we were able to be as comfortable as we possibly could be giving birth to a child. I don't think, though Mary certainly would have not expected what we expect today. I don't think Mary had a smelly, dirty animal barn in mind. I just don't. I think when the angel came to her with this message, you're going to give birth to the promised one, the one who will be called the Holy One of God. You're going to give birth to God's Son. I don't think Mary sat down and made out a hospital list like we made today. I don't think she thought about all the wonderful and beautiful things that she might get to experience. I don't think she did a, a baby registry, a mommy registry. I just don't think she did those things. But I doubt sincerely she thought, I'm going to give birth in a dirty, smelly animal barn surrounded by the barn animals. I'm going to lay my son in the feeding trough, and I'm going to swaddle him with whatever cloth I can muster. I don't think she had those things in mind. It might seem like they had really gone without. But the reality is that God's provision was still evident in so many ways. They had shelter. They had a bed for the baby. They had a covering for the baby. But the reality of Christmas is that God's provision was the provision that they needed most, just as it was the provision that we needed most. You see, what we needed most wasn't a king, though he is a king. What we needed most wasn't a, a great teacher, though he's a great teacher. What we needed most wasn't a political rescuer, though there's coming a day when he'll fulfill that role. What, what we needed most wasn't the 
Pulitzer-winning prize economist. What we needed most wasn't some wealthy person who could bring riches to the world. What we needed most is exactly what God gave us. We needed a Savior. We needed a Savior. One who could bring forgiveness, one who could bring light to the darkness, one who could bring peace to the chaos, one who could bring healing for our brokenness. And that's exactly what God gave us in Jesus. The greatest provision we needed is what God gave the Savior. So we can celebrate Him. Whatever else may be going on in your life, whatever lack of provision you may have right now, it may seem really dire for you right now. It may seem really bare. You don't even know how you're going to make Christmas happen for your family and loved ones the way you would like to. You can still celebrate because of what God provided for you and me when he provided Jesus. So let me encourage you this Christmas. Celebrate God in meaningful ways. In meaningful ways. You say, well, Pastor, I, I'm going to sit down at the beginning of Christmas Day and read Luke 2 and pray and go on with my day. I wonder if there's something more substantial you can do to celebrate God. Maybe there's some way you can give the way he gave. Maybe there's something you can do for someone else the way that God did for you what you could not do for yourself in giving his son. How will you celebrate God this Christmas? Maybe you just need to choose to do just that. You can celebrate God's preeminence. You can celebrate his presence. You can celebrate his provision. Celebrate God this Christmas because Christmas begins with him.